Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Explorative Podcast. Welcome to the Explorer Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and joining me again tonight is Drexy. Welcome, Drexy. Hello. Yeah, you like that. This time, you weren't interrupted by Ben, but Ben's here. Welcome, Ben. How's it going, Rob? It's going well, man. It's exciting to get the gang back. It's been a while. And joining us from across the world, hopefully not drowning, is Sean. Hi, Sean. Greetings from the future. From the future. How's the water over there? It's going down where I am. It's moving further south, but it's still pretty wild. So I guess we'll just keep an eye on it. Yeah, that was like historic flooding for you guys, right? Like, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Oh, yeah, it's wild. Like, everywhere is basically all-time record floods. It's ridiculous. Like, this town's in New South Wales is getting wiped off the map. It's crazy. That's crazy. I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear that. And, of course, we send our thoughts and hopes for drier weather your way from across the world. But, yeah. I'm sad to see all that because it was. It looks like there's a lot of damage too, and hopefully not too many casualties, right? No, not a lot, thankfully. So, yeah, hopefully things sort of get sorted out soon. Well, cool. Well, this is the end of the world as we all know it, so we might as well talk about video games as things start to burn around us and flood in some spots. And we're here, we're gathered here today to talk about some Forex news first, but then really dive deep into Galactic Civilizations 4. So with that being said, let's get into the news. And something we're going to talk about first and foremost, because it just came out today, like the news of it just came out today, is that the publisher known as hooded horse has picked up yet another game and it's another game that we've all kind of had our eye on which is you know good for good for tim and hooded horse but it's called fragile existence and it's a game that we've all kind of been talking about you know here and there and i believe sean you actually have it on your like most anticipated list right for your 2022 am i wrong yeah that's it's on my list we actually had a chat to lee the guy that's making it in an interview three of us did that's not you (laughs) Yeah, no, it looks really, really cool. I'm into it. And it's it's kind of, it's it's different too, you know? Like it's got that asymmetric sort of warfare, you know, you're being chased by someone and, you know, you can't just build up your base and turn around and beat them up or whatever. Like you're you're constantly on the run. So it's it's a really interesting game and I'm keeping an eye on it for sure. Well, now it's a hooded horse production or published game, 
which is insane to me because it feels like every game that I'm like, hey, that looks pretty cool. I want to I want to play that game. Hooded Horse is picking up. I don't know where they're getting this money. I mean, I, I know that they have like venture capitalists behind them and stuff like that. But Tim really seems to have an eye for like these indie strategy games that are kind of up and coming and have promise. So I'm excited. I think Fragile Existence looks great. And I'm really excited to play it and good for him. I personally think he reads our minds because uh, he picks every game we've pretty much backed on Kickstarter or interviewed the <laughs> developer. I know, right? And I think, I mean, I know he does look, I mean, he, he watches our Discord and he listens to our podcast. So, hey, Tim, you're doing a great job. But yeah, I mean, as far as reading our minds go, he may be doing that too because I also kickstarted Fat Te Deum or Deum. And that's like the God game the like indie guide game that's coming up and he he picked that one up and i did a video for that well i I did a video for that and then for some reason youtube refused to process it so it never came out but yeah it's just wild to see how many games he's adding to his stable and how many of them we're all like excited about so good for him next up we have ai war 2 which has reached version 4.0 now I'm not even sure how Chris McElligot part, I think that's how you McElligot, McElligot, whatever. I don't know. I'm sorry, Chris. I love you, man. You're a good dude. But I don't even know how he's making any money at this point because he's been working on AI World 2 for like three years now. And I mean, it's a great game, but I, I remember him saying that at this point, like he's invested more than he's actually made. And that was like a year ago and he's continued to work on it. So now we are at what's called the return from the endless beta it's version 4.0 it's the single largest patch ever for any game of arcing games ever so it's huge and it looks like it's refactoring basically like the entire code of ai war 2 and it's added a whole bunch of things that we couldn't possibly get into but it's made me want to go back to ai war 2 because quite frankly it's one of the best strategy games i've ever played and more people should be talking about it it's one of those games that seems to change with every big update as well. It's like significantly changed. And it's one of the things that like kind of puts me off playing it a little bit now because every time I come back to it, it's so different that I just have to kind of relearn the whole thing. And it's not it's already quite a complex game, so it really takes some learning. So I think AI War 2 is kind of one of these games now that they're really kind of playing to favorites, you know. And I think that it's going to be difficult for them to, to get any new people into it unless... I don't know. I, th- I I can't help but feel that like Chris is now he's developing this game purely for the people who are already playing it. I'd have to agree. Honestly, I think that at this point he should move on because it's in a great spot. And I think that's what he's actually intending to do. I feel like this was his like last oorah with it. And he even says kind of that as much in the patch notes, because I think what he wanted to do is like shore up some of his, some of like the coding weaknesses and make it very moddable. And now that there's like that final DLC coming out, I think he wants to put it all together as like this AI War 2 package and be done with it. So I think they're really close. And I think that this would be a good time to kind of maybe jump back in because as far as like the refactoring or anything like that or major gameplay changes, those are all gone at this point. Those are all done. So it would be a good time to jump back in. If it's something you wanted to get back into, I might do another YouTube series because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really like the game with Ace. It's uh, it's kind of a time-consuming one, though, and it's one that really you don't just want to play one campaign. You want to keep playing it and just sort of learn from your mistakes. So I think it's going to be a game for the summer when I've got a bit more time. Yes, sir. All right, Sean, tell us about the Chaos Engines DLC for Phoenix Point. 
Alrighty, so Chaos Engines, the fifth DLC for Phoenix Point, released. I think it was a couple, just a couple of days ago. So it's come out with it with a new faction called the Syndicate, and they have a they're, so they're their own faction. They've got their own technology, and they've got a marketplace where you can buy new technology, new weapons, uh, that kind of thing. But then you've you've got to do missions for them to to be able to buy things off them to gain the reputation. So yeah, there's a new faction. There's new gear there. And there's a, another big free patch that's come alongside that that's changing a bunch of stuff. I think there's now greater rewards from doing events on the Geoscape and a bunch of other stuff that's too long to list, really, but it's a big patch and worth having a look at. Tell Ben we said hi. God damn it. <laughs> Stupid crow. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So, yeah, I mean, I, from what I understand, it's the last DLC for Phoenix Point, and so I'm hoping that they're moving on to something else, perhaps Phoenix Point 2. It sounds like the like the major, like the majority portion of that development studio has moved on to whatever their next project is. So, I mean, this this DLC feels a little light on content, but you know, it's cheap too, so it is what it is. But I'm 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 hoping to see you know whatever it is they they come up with next, and hopefully they won't sell out and go to fig dot whatever it is dot io and then. What was it, Fig? Is it just Fig? I don't know. The campaign they did to raise funds and then turn around and sell it to Epic, but whatever. Yeah, the current roadmap is done. They've said that there is more stuff coming, but haven't specified what that is. So there may be more stuff coming, or there may be a sequel. I don't know, but they're doing something anyway. Hey, cool. All right. Well, we'll talk more about it when it comes to that. Next up, we've got Dune Spice Wars, which is the Forex game from Shiro Games. They are best known for their Northguard RTS and now their War Tales like mercenary management Battle Brothers-esque game. And they're making a full-fledged RTS 4X game in the Dune universe. And they've shown off gameplay. It definitely looks pretty damn 4X to me and I'm really excited about it. They have announced two of the factions so far being the Harkonnen and the Atreides. And then I have been catching some wind of the fact that they might be introducing the Fremen next. So I'm really excited about that because this supposedly it'd be the very first time that they're introduced in any Dune game as an actual faction. And it does kind of feel like they might, you know, be pretty asymmetric in the fact that they would definitely be utilizing different skills and whatnot. But just the idea of having four factions, I think the, the early access is actually going to be coming out with four factions and they're, they're, planning on doing more i'm not remembering too well here but at the very least they're gonna have four factions and if they're gonna introduce a, a, a faction like the fremen i think that the game is probably gonna try to be a bit asymmetric which excites me so the gameplay looks amazing it looks great the graphics are you know kind of bright and colorful but you know they they work well i think and i'm personally very excited for it so i hope to see more of it, it looks like they're kind of gearing up for an early access date relatively soon as information's coming out of it you know out about it pretty fast and furious at this point i'm gonna be that guy and say how can the fremen be a faction unless it's after paul atreides uh, has well then they wouldn't be fighting no it just just doesn't make sense the the fremen won't have any vehicles or anything like that doesn't make much sense yeah so i mean let me just interrupt you there for a second and just say that it's not been made official. I'm just simply uh, hearing things from the interwebs, and I guess they made some hints as to the fact that it might be the Fremen. So I don't know, 
How is this game of 4X? Because um, you're saying it's an RTS, so I'm kind of interested to, to know what kind of game this is exactly. Well, it's definitely a game where you... I mean, first of all, it's a game where you are taking territories, much like Endless Legend. So it's kind of like a combination of what Northgard did and what a true 4X would feel like because there's a lot of like city building, I guess is the best way I could put it. So like a lot of infrastructure building and there's diplomacy and there is the, like I said, there are these like territories that you claim. And from what I've read, there also be randomly generated maps. So I think those are all kind of things that made me feel like it's a bit more 4X-y than RTS. Plus they themselves have come out and said it's a 4X game. Sounds good. Yeah, so I think it's going to be pretty great. So I'm excited, and we'll see how it goes. And we'll see if Shiro Games can pull off this Dune 4X game that gets me a little too excited. All right, and then we have some news about Stellaris before we actually we have got Stellaris, and then a little thing that Sean must talk about real quick. But Stellaris has come up with its 3.3 update, which they've called Libra. And with Libra, they have now basically reworked unity so there's a bunch of new things you can use there's a bunch of new things you can do with unity and they've from what i understand have really improved the ai in the mid to late game supposedly they're able to to do their economy better they're managing their economy better and there's a bunch of other stuff like permanent employment performance improvements new anomalies new dig sites new story events all this other stuff this great initiative that they've really got going with Stellaris and their custodial staff and it's really seeming to work out for them. So 3.3 that's out. And then almost immediately afterwards, they announced that there's a new game director or manager or whatever it is they call those people that do that. And it is now, I guess a guy named Stephen Murray, which I have not, I, I, I just don't follow the Stellaris game and community well enough to know who that guy is. I guess he's been working quite a bit lately on Stellaris. And so the last one who was, <laughs> I don't I don't even know who the last one was. Uh, whoever it was, was managing it and was the game director for Stellaris, left, and now Stephen Murray is the new one. So yay for that. And I guess that that person's been working pretty closely with some of the latest update stuff. So a lot of people are pretty excited, it looks like to see where this guy's going to take it because of the the latest updates and the things that he's done recently. They're all enjoying the direction that Stellaris is headed in. So, yay. Is it me or has Stellaris had a lot of directors at this point? Or It just seems like there's too many cooks on this project. What do you reckon? I think this is number four, number five. I mean, it's yeah, an old th- game now. I get it. It's like, you know, and if things aren't working, I understand that they'd want to change the leadership. My analysis of what's gone wrong with Stellaris, though, is that they're taking it in too many di- directions at once, and they keep making these drastic changes and adding stuff that doesn't really seem to please anybody. So, I don't know. I don't mean to be negative. I mean, hopefully this this kind of sorts things out. It does sound like the game, like people are enjoying the game more, and like Stellaris has been phenomenally popular this entire time. So, it's one of these games, you know, where it's like War, like Total War Warhammer as well. It's another game where people constantly bitch about it, but everybody plays it anyway because it's, you know, it's a good game. So I just assume that whatever it is that they're going to do is is going to be good in the long term. But I don't know. My analysis of that game was that I think the reason why it, I don't think it's a great game. Imagine a chariot with 15 horses all pulling it in different directions. It doesn't go anywhere. And that's kind of how Solaris is. I think the main thing with them, 
changing leads is they end up getting moved on to like CK3 or Vicky3, is it? Uh, so, yeah. So they get someone else to take over, basically. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Daniel, that's the guy's name, Daniel Morgard or whatever, is moving on to an unannounced project. So it's not Vicky, Vicky2 because it's unannounced and a lot of people are speculating that it might be Slorus too. So anyways, new director, and I believe it's the fourth or fifth one at this point. So, because we've had Martin Anward, the guy who was before Martin, and then now Daniel, and then now this guy. So that's at least four that I can remember. So finish it up with the Settlers news there, Shawnee boy. Can do. So the Settlers has been delayed to absolutely nobody's surprise to a later unannounced date. I don't can't remember how long it's been in into- didn't it originally try to launch in like 2015 or something? It's been around for ages. Anyway, closed beta came out. I played it. I uh, don't have a lot of experience with the Settlers series, but basically everybody hated it. They're like, this is nothing like a Settlers game. It's from, from what I understand about Settlers is it's supposed to focus almost entirely on like, the economic and management side of it. And there's not supposed to be that much of a focus on the military side. And this is basically... It's borderline an Age of Empires clone. Like, it's way heavily focused on the combat side of it. And, yeah, basically nobody liked it. They've all come back and screamed at Ubisoft that this is crap. And then, yeah, to nobody's surprise, they've pushed it back, and we have no idea when it's coming out. I'm actually a bit surprised because I figured Ubisoft wouldn't give two shits about, like, what people thought about it and would just put it out because at this point, you know, it's it's been in development forever, you're right. But I am also pleased to hear that they've you know, considered the feedback, which you're right, was like universally, this is not Settlers. I think almost everyone I heard that was in the beta or was, I seen videos of that had done some commentary on the whole game, were all saying that this is just does not feel like Settlers and they were complaining a lot. So I'm glad to see that they were willing to take a step back and maybe revisit some of the gameplay mechanics to make it feel more like a Settlers game, but we'll see. I'm not really optimistic. Anyway, so with that being said, let's move into our topic. As I mentioned before, tonight's topic is Galactic Civilizations 4. We've been trying to do this podcast for some time now. And then, you know, with the development cycle being what it is and new beta versions coming out pretty frequently, we kind of postponed it a few times. And then there was some times where we couldn't get the gang together. So now we're here and beta 2, which is version 0.80, just came out a few days ago. And in fact, yesterday at the time of this recording, and with that version, there's now the Battle Viewer, which is something that's been lacking for some time, which is funny because the Battle Viewer is not really working. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's there. broken. <laughs> <laughs> it's there, but it's not working. And it does look nice. I will say that. It does look really pretty, but there's nothing going on there. And there's also a bunch of new additions to some of the the existing factions and how maybe they've been fleshed out a little bit more to be more asymmetric. They've given been given new commander traits. There's also been a lot of quality of life updates and just basically like generic general, you know, upgrades in a lot of ways. And there's 
also been some music additions and stuff like that, but the game hasn't changed significantly to the point where if either of us, any of us here on this panel haven't played the newest version, that we wouldn't be able to still give a, you know, a good critical response to what's going on with this game right now. So with that being said, I have played about four hours of the version 0.80. Yeah, that's how you, yeah, whatever. The new beta 2. I've played about four hours of the new beta 2. I'm impressed with the direction that it's already headed in, especially with the, I would, I'd say there's a lot of quality of life things. Like just a lot of, like now, you know, one thing that really gets me that I don't want to talk too much about, but the tooltips, the way that they were working before is that if you moused over something and there was a tooltip to be had, it immediately popped up and then it kind of nested itself like like you know, some of the other games do, like at the gates and old worlds where now you have to actually hold the shift button in order for the tooltips to nest. And I like that a lot better because a lot of the times before, these tooltips were getting in the way of like pushing a button that you actually needed to do. And I hated it. It was really kind of infuriating. So the fact that you have to hold shift in order to have these tooltips pop up is exciting to me. And that's uh, that's a very minor thing, but there's a lot of things like that in this patch that I feel like have progressed the game to feel more polished pretty significantly there is one thing that has been suggested by the community as well is uh when an event pops up being able to minimize it because it gives you options and you'd like to check your empire and see which bonuses will benefit you rather than trying to keep that in your mind so hopefully at some point that will come in yeah so well let's take a step back before we get too far into this and talk about galactic civilizations 4 and how it is change the series so for those of you who've maybe played the galactic civilization series in the past like i think drexy put it really well when he said basically galactic civilizations is a lot like civilization in space and that it really doesn't change the formula really it's just basically like if you imagine taking the terrain of a civilization game and putting it in space and then the rest of the gameplay mechanics kind of carrying over in a lot of ways you would get Galactic Civilizations. You know, the Galactic Civilization series has always kind of been a more true-to-form space version of Civilization. But recently with Galactic Civilizations 3, you know, the, first of all, I'll say this too. Let's let's start this. But Galactic Civilizations 2 made our top 10 4X games of all time list. And a lot of people out there will say that Galactic Civilizations 2 is a great, maybe fantastic, maybe excellent game you know, not everybody liked it, but there's a lot of people that really liked the game it became. And that was because it had a great mixture of, you know, economic and basically infrastructure strategy, along with, you know, a great diplomacy system, or at least a great for the time diplomacy system. And towards the end of the game's life, there was also this great, cool, like very unique research system where each of the factions had its own unique tech tree. And you know, it just, it did a lot of things. It had a, you know, it had a very unique take on the 4X genre and that it was, again, it was staying a little bit more true to the civilization formula, but, you know, it had an AI that people thought was like probably the best of its time. And it's still considered one of the better AIs for any 4X game ever. The game, you know, it, it really did play to win. The AI played to win and it played smart, but you know, from the transition from Galactic Civilizations 2 to Galactic Civilizations 3, a lot of people started to feel like the game had kind of lost some of its splendor, and or at least the series had. And it wasn't really pushing things forward in a way that Galactic Civilizations 2 attempted to do back in its day. So 
Now we're here with Galactic Civilizations 4, the newest iteration in a long venerated series. And I want to talk about some of the things that it does and how it's different than any other 4X game. So how is it different? Well, I'm going to kind of talk about what I think makes it a different, and then you guys can add your two cents. But I think the main thing that was probably, I say the main thing, the main gameplay mechanic that makes Galactic Civilizations 4 feel different is this whole core world versus colony system that it implemented that feels, we've talked about it being a lot like Star Ruler 2 in that, you know, you have these major planets, these like, yeah, core worlds, right? Where a great deal of your empire is focused on, but because they are so important, there's not that many of them, right? So you're only going to be making core worlds of the best planets that you find. And in a given map, there's only going to be, you know, maybe depending on the size of it, there's only going to be in, in a particular sector, maybe three or four of these planets that you feel are good enough to make core worlds. But there's also a bunch of other worlds that you'll colonize that feed into these core worlds and feed their resources and outputs to these core worlds. And that is all done based on their proximity to these core worlds. So, you know, the the colonies that you end up having that are nearest to a core world will, you know, feed their stuff, feed their economic output, their industrial output, their research output to the nearest core world. And that changes the gameplay because it really kind of takes away from the need to micromanage every colony ever. And it starts to it starts to make it more of a macro game in some ways. And I'm curious to know how you guys think that works or if it works. It's one of my biggest issues with the game because uh, the way Galaxy Civilization works is it's not like Stellaris or distant worlds where you have millions of uh, citizens. You only have a few, maybe less, definitely less than, you start off with what, three or four? And to even colonize worlds you're not gonna use as a core world, you have to use use one of those citizens as well as using them for a star base. So I get where they're trying to do with it, but it becomes a real struggle, especially if you're playing an empire that doesn't breed very well. It becomes a struggle and you find yourself sort of losing ground to the AI because somehow they seem to be able to colonize everything around them. Yeah, I find it's a, it's a bit of a strange one because I don't know if you guys agree with this, but the whole game feels a little bit less feels more like a board game or something now. And I know that I know that Galsiv 3 was kind of like that too. They're abstracting away quite a lot of the, the the stuff that kind of like felt like the immersion of the game, right? So you've got these civilians now and they're represented by like a you know a character and they've got stats and everything. Instead of like, you know, millions of population. And I don't know, it just feels like kind of I think just the sort of Forex player who is going to who who likes to be immersed in these worlds basically is probably going to find that really immersion breaking. It really feels much more like a board game rob mentioned that the game with the way that the colonies worked and the you know the supporting colonies it was a bit like star ruler 2 i don't think it is i don't think it's anything like star ruler 2 it doesn't have the same uh you know you don't chain these planets up you, they don't really give you any specific re- like special resources as far as i could tell um they don't really it's not really the same it's more it just seems to be as rob said like a way of removing some of the micromanagement of planet 
of the planet management. But again, it's a puzzling choice for me because I think that it was one of the best things about Galsib 3 was its exceptionally interesting colony management. You know, the whole puzzle game of kind of getting of of putting everything in adjacency uh, slots so that you got the best bonuses. Um, you can that was really good fun if you like that kind of thing because it it took out the boredom of building slots that you get in games like Master of Orion 2. So the reason why I don't really play Master of Orion 2 because I find the, the colony management just so dull and like annoying. Whereas uh, in, in Galsiv, it was cool because you had all these, you know, there's this kind of mini game that you're playing. But now they're sort of taking that away, except for just a few planets. So I don't know. I don't know where they're going with it, to be honest. To address your point first, Rexy, I'll say that there are executive orders or actions. I don't remember what they're called, but there's an executive action in particular, that allows you to draft colonists. Yeah, yeah, I get that. that yeah, well, it, does, it doesn't. I think it, it's it, it, there is a, a a minus to doing that, right? It it drops your morale a little bit, and you have to use control points in order to do that. But at least it can help you keep up with you know like other civilizations. I've never really had a problem with it, to be honest. I've never had a problem with growing enough colonists and being able to send out citizens to to make new colonies. I don't know if it's just a min-max thing or if maybe, you know, you're choosing factions that aren't really working well for you. But, you know, to, to your points, though, I think that there's, there's, I mean, there's still a lot of micro. I mean, there's still enough micromanagement, I think, for the majority of players here. Because, you know, in a, in a like I was just playing in version 0.80 and, you know, I, within 30 minutes, I had three core worlds and, you know, half dozen colonies. And I was managing three core worlds already and for me i don't i personally don't want to manage too many core worlds i didn't really like that i was having to manage every planet that i ever colonized in galactic civilizations 3 i like the puzzle thing i like the adjacency bonus stuff that manage and try to maximize output from in in the galactic civilization series but i don't want to have to do it for 10 planets 15 planets you know for, for that's why this game i think feels unique and exciting for me because I can do that for the three or four planets that I have in each sector. And, you know, I'm still excited by the idea of, you know, grabbing more colonies with my colony ships. And the, the, the game starts to feel a bit more, I don't know, I guess more galactic, more, you know, wide without making me feel like I'm bogged down in micromanagement. Maybe it is just me, but I have found that that it's uh, that also I'm kind of with Drexula that there doesn't seem to be it seems to be difficult to generate pops quickly enough to actually do much with them like I'm playing as the your collective in the most recent game and you have to actually build your pops but then you're also building other stuff at the same time and I've found that that slowed my expansion way down to the point where for like the first four hours I'm pretty much just clicking next turn a lot so it seems I think it slows down the pacing of the game a lot too well, to be honest, when I played you, I found them super overpowered because A, yes, you can build your pops and B, they don't need food, so you don't have to make food worlds. <laughs> so I found them super powerful. But um, I don't know, it just feels like, what's the point of having these minor colonies when they could just put an asteroid belt in their place or another resource you can just build a space station and mine from them? <laughs> it just feels like they're just an extra like asteroid belt or something when they're planets is it's a bit weird again i think that it adds to the flavor of it right so if you start to consider like in, in this game that i'm playing right now i'm playing as the onyx hive 
And like I said, I've got three core worlds and about maybe another half dozen colonies. And it feels like, I mean, that's kind of where it, 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 it's like a flavor thing for me. It feels like that would be kind of the way things would be, right? Like you would have these worlds that are probably your major focus, your major economic focus, your major industrial focuses, whereas you might have, you know, another half dozen or so planets that you've colonized that aren't really like, maybe they're not super conducive to agriculture or, you know, industrial output or something like that, but are still like places where your people can be and, and sprawl out to. And it feels, it just feels like a game that represents like the sprawling, the sprawl of a galactic empire well without making me feel like I'm micromanaging the shit out of it. If you're open-minded about this, you can you can start to feel like why it's, in my opinion, a great step for the series because I think that it still manages to to give the micromanagers what they want, but provides the opportunity for people like me who like to play more of a macro game that opportunity as well. Even more so than Galsiv 3, it seems in the early game to very much heavily rely on automation. So I know this is it's an optional thing, right? You can you you choose to hit the automate exploration or automate colonization or whatever, but it find that even more so than Galsiv 3, where I think they got it about right, I feel like quite a lot of the time I'm just hitting end turn and the automation stuff is just doing its own thing. And I always start getting alarm bells ringing when there's a lot of when I'm when I'm hitting end turn end turn and there's loads of just stuff doing itself. It's, it kind of reminds me of you know the early Civ games where you all your workers were automated, but even more so. And I don't know, like I I know that they're trying to go for like a you know Civ in space. I know that's the kind of vibe, but that wasn't something that I really wanted to take on. It feels like the whole d- design of the game seems to be to kind of appeal to like what you're saying, Rob, which is you know you want to be able to have this galactic scale thing without really having to do much of the work and but you know while still sort of leaving things open so that somebody can you know go in and micromanage this is my most important point on this i don't find planet management as micromanagement that's i think that's important strategic stuff okay for me micromanagement is stuff like like in stellaris where you're having to manually uh choose jobs for your pops and that kind of stuff you know like to me that's you know that's kind of excessive micromanagement i don't find picking buildings for planets micromanagement so if you if you take that as just one thing in amongst many design decisions that seems to be in galaxy 4 it seems to be almost like they're kind of i don't know kind of removing or automating or like streamlining things that i actually really liked in you know in galaxy 3 that i like to do manually and they're kind of like almost stepping back now and you know, kind of say, okay, well, we want you to focus more on the macro stuff. Here's a load of automation tools. And I'm not, I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about it. I, can I just say that I think it's a little ironic that you are saying that you want to micro, or that you want to manage your planets, but your one of your favorite Space Forex games involves like extraordinarily <laughs> small amounts of management. And, and Master of Ryan, like, I, like, Master of Ryan, literally, like, you're just sl- like sliding sliders. I don't, you, you that's micromanagement but i kind of like that like cause I, I guess you know i was talking to lucid tactics about this last night and i think that there's when you have a favorite game right there's an there's an element of stockholm syndrome crossed with favoritism that starts coming in so you start putting up with all the crap that other people you know who aren't as invested in the game aren't going to put up with right so for me i won't ever use the governor mod in in remnants of the precursors i just don't see the point because i enjoy doing that side of things but other people hate it other people hate moving the sliders around right so automate it. Fine, go ahead. Um, and in the same way that you know, I know you're not keen on 
having to send colony ships out to you know manually whereas you know like i understand it in galsip i understand your argument there because once you've identified where a planet is generally speaking if it's within range it can just be an automated task okay i get that but there are times when in galsip where you are trying to send a colony ship out and you've got enemy pirate you've got like enemy ships around so you can't automate it because they're going to get killed you kind of need to have the option in there right so it makes sense to have the option to to do that yourself manually or to have the automation um i think there are other things though where it doesn't really seem to i don't know it doesn't seem to make so much sense well you can manually do it but i mean you brought up a point about ending turns and i think this is one of the biggest problems i've found with the game is the pacing is really off i've played what well over 30 hours now almost 40 hours i believe and i've tried so many different galaxy things from one thing we haven't mentioned now you have the ability of building sectors so i've gone from having one sector to two sectors to trying to have where each empire has their own sector almost and i could just never get the pace and the balance you were either too far from people or you're almost just too close to them and border frictions happened really like the game i was playing earlier today just before this podcast pretty early on in the game i think i had maybe three core worlds and a couple colonies and the terran empire built a station around where i was just about proper station down for one of the precursor things so i went to war with them and i i took all of their planets apart from of course their home planet and because I haven't got the tech to attack their home planet, because it was so early, I couldn't destroy their shipyard. So I basically ended up having to pay them to peace out with me just so I could get on with the game. It was so annoying. Is that something to do with the randomised tech tree not giving you the tech that you needed? Or is it just that you didn't have something researched? Because I've got... Well, that's happened I, I before. Because I, pro- I am going to say some nice stuff about this game. So I think this game is great, by the way. If I'm... I probably should have started and said this. I have really enjoyed playing it so far. I think it's really, really good. And I do think it, it's looking like it's an improvement over Galsip 3. But I have got criticisms. But um, one of the criticisms that I've got is I'm not entirely sure that this game really, really needs a, uh, a randomized tech tree. I think that in a game that is so heavily based on rock, paper, scissors, kind of hard counters like this, you know, with your you've got your kinetic weapons laser weapons and the different deflectors and things that kind of uh, armor and deflectors or whatever that is that kind of counter it it's really not the best idea to have randomized tech tree like that works in master of orion because you've only got one you know that well there are kind of different types of weapons but they they all kind of work against one another in a game where you've got hard counters if you don't get the if you don't get the technology that you want you're screwed so i don't know like i kind of I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about that decision as well. I don't like this theme that we've got in 4X where, you know, ran, people just love to throw random tech trees into everything and it doesn't always work. I think the game has to be built around it in order for it to work. I kind of agree here. So I'm not sure that, like, the the tech card thing seems to be, like, the new thing. I mean, with Old World and Stellaris with this randomized tech tree stuff, I'm not sure that I'm convinced it's really... Yeah, like you said, that it's the best thing here. I I really wish that a developer would kind of revisit the whole sort of the stars, you know, randomized tech tree thing where, you know, you were basically weighted to get certain techs. And like, if you did get certain techs, like there were entire parts of the tree that just weren't, you know, available to you. And 
I, you know, and, and then there was, of course, there was maybe a tech tree or a tech like branch that was available to your specific race that wouldn't be available to others. And you could go down this and become, it, it felt like a much more asymmetric research process. I'm with you. I'm not sure that this tech card stuff is my favorite. And in my preview, and if you haven't read it, you can do it. I don't care if you, I mean, I don't know if you'll care enough to read it, but if you do, it was something that I, I knew was going to be something that was going to be a bit controversial. And in fact, I think it even headed it with like, you know, a tech tree for controversy because I just don't know that it was really the best move. And I still think that there could be ways to make it better. And, you know, I don't think it's going to happen before version 1.0, but yeah, I'm, I'm just not a, I'm not a huge fan of it. And I think that there could have been better choices with regards to the tech tree for sure. I think with Galsiv it was heavily based around the original Civilization, at least the original game was. One of the best things about Civ is that the game is built around the tech tree to some extent. And so you've got this era-based system. It's the same every single time. So you plot your trajectory through the game. You plot your journey through the game and you figure out, you know, at this point I'm going to be here. Then at this point I'm going to be here and I'm going to want this. And the fun of Civ, or at least the early Civ games, was... You know, kind of okay. This time I'm going to go with pottery or whatever, and go you know and try and go like for an economic thing. Or this time I'm going to go early with arrows so that I can I can get archers early and then I can you know can go on a military thing. And then you plotted the game and you looked at the landscape around you to kind of figure out what it was that you wanted. You can't do that with randomized tech trees. Now Galsiv isn't quite the same as Civ because it doesn't have the era based system, but it does definitely have parts of the game where you should be at a certain level. And you, you certainly have terrain features in space and, you know, the situation with your neighbors that will ensure that you need certain things at certain times. So I don't know. I just don't I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about random about a randomized tech tree in a game that is like a Civ game, essentially. However, Galsiv 4 has moved away from the other Galsiv games in a big way in this one, I think. And it's very much moved away from Civ. It doesn't really bear that much resemblance to it now, other than it's got hexes, basically, and, you know, kind of terrain features that you can exploit. Other than that, it's kind of different. So I think it's the randomized tech tree. It needs to be, they need to think about it. But one thing I will say about Stardock is Stardock usually make these things work, right? We know that. I'm a big fan of Stardock's games. I think they're really, really good. They don't always get it right first time round, but they'll always tweak stuff, even if it takes a few years, to the point where it will you know, it will mesh. Their diplomacy system is the best out of any out of any uh, 4X games, for example. I, I, the, the diplomacy system in Galsiv 4 is good. And, you know, Rob might disagree because you, you might be like, oh, it's kind of the same old thing that we've seen before. But it, as far as that same old diplomacy system is, in, you know, it's concerned, it's a good one. It's very similar to the one in Fallen Enchantress. There's loads of options and it works, it, it works pretty well. I think the other thing is because... The way they've tried to make the races so different is uh, they really need to... Someone mentioned about the tech tree being weighted and I think it kind of needs to be weighted towards your race because it should be weighed towards the way the race is sort of meant to be played, I guess. The diplomacy as well. I You say that I think the diplomacy is absolute trash. <laughs> I'm sorry. But the, the uh, AI always really weights heavily towards what they want and it's almost impossible to do the same to them <laughs> I they, uh, half the time they contact me i just say no 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 
I think the way they've, they're trying to think of it is you're meant to get texts from other empires, but they want you to give almost way too much for what you're getting. The mechanics are good. I think that, you know, the, the options that are there, there's obviously balancing issues right now, you know, trying to get it working right. Um, so I, that's kind of what I meant. You're right. They, I can't get I can't get them to make a decent deal because every time I want a tech from them, they want five. So <laughs> I completely, I, I absolutely agree with you there. It's not it's not working as intended, but I, I don't like to complain about stuff that's, t- t- that I think is clearly to do with being a beta. You know, like I, I, I just don't think there's much. It's not. It's not really worth mentioning that too much because, to me, that's clearly not quite balanced, quite right. Um, unless there's something I'm totally missing in that game. Oh, and that was going to be my point, actually, is that we have to remember this is still beta, and we're still probably at least I think a couple months away from release. So, like when you talk about pacing or like yeah, the the god awful trade offers, they're they're a work in progress. I'm hoping, right? And I think that you know even even now I've started to see somewhat better trade agreements, even than version 0.80. So I'm not willing to say that they're going to be awful. And I do, I do agree with you though that I think that it's it's pretty bog standard in my opinion. I think that Fallen Enchanters had a much better diplomacy system because you were able to trade your progress in various research trees, which I thought was unique. I think this one is that whole barter table system really doesn't kind of do it for me. And Soren Johnson made a really good point, and I really liked it when we interviewed him about how, you know, he had come up with that, you know, like barter system when he had developed, started to develop Civilization Four, and you know, he's since kind of grown tired of it, and he thinks that there's a lot of better ways to handle diplomacy. And I'm, I'm with him. I think that you know, even Old World, I think, does a better job of of you know trying to make diplomacy feel more natural and you know less less like we're headed to the table you know it just feels weird it just i don't know i i don't think that it's a bad diplomacy system i just think it's kind of boring and and doesn't try anything new but can we just if we can come back for just a split second unless sean did you have a point from what I've seen of the diplomacy, it does feel it's it feels pretty standard to me too. Like it's presented well, but I think it's pretty standard, like things I've seen in other games. Um, something I did notice when trying to do trades with other factions is, I'm sure I've seen this in other games as well. But there'll be like the AI will offer you a trade, and if you tinker with that, like obviously they'll either approve it or disapprove it or whatever. But I can't go back to trying to offer them the original trade because they'll knock that back too. So I guessing that something else is going to have to be worked out. But I have seen it in other games as well, so I don't know if it's just like a byproduct of how it works or something. I love that crow. I think it was actually trying to get louder as you were talking. Yeah, I told you you shouldn't try and... Don't mess with crows, man. Now it's just doing it to wind you up. Oh, it is. It went to the the tree in front of my house, and then it went up in the palm tree when I came out, and now it's in the tree on the other side of the house. It's it's still in my head, honestly. (laughs) So if we can take a moment, though, I I do want to come back. I just want to, like, maybe do it as fast as I possibly can, because I feel like I did start to try to, like, synopsis this thing, and it really kind of got away from me because we started to go right into discussion. But the other things I think that are doing that I... Okay, so this game is also, uh, I think, trying to make the the gameplay feel more asymmetric in a lot of ways by adding the executive actions, by adding policies, by you know making the actual commander ships, which are ships that you can send your leaders that you can hire through the leader menu. All those commanding ships have unique traits, and all of them are pretty unique to the race that they play. So I think that. 
a lot of the other things that Starduck's trying to do differently here is kind of almost make each playthrough not only asymmetric, but feel like almost like a role-playing game. And it was something that I, I kind of tried to make the comparison with in my preview. But like because of the amount of things you can do, amount of you know different abilities you can take, amount of different policies you can enact, amount of different ideologies that you can invest in, these are all things that kind of start to make you feel like you're creating a character, you know, and, and much like a, an RPG does. And I think that's really cool. And I think I'm going to go back to what Ben said, right? Like this game, I think, is doing a lot of things right. I think that of the Galactic Civilization games, this one has the most thrill for me. Like I'm enjoying this probably more than I even enjoyed Galactic Civilizations 2. And I did like Galactic Civilizations 2 quite a bit. So I feel that there's much more potential for Civ- Galactic Civilizations 4 to be the game that like that maybe puts Stardock on the map a little bit because I feel like they're kind of like this double-A developer that's kind of punching above their weight right now. And I think that's because Epic gave them a shit ton of money to come in there. And, and at this point, I think they've actually developed skills from their time with Star Control that they've can now use that like animation skill that they have and these like, you know, kind of triple A type graphics to, you know, like I said, punch above their weight. I feel like they're, they're, they're trying to achieve something that I'm not sure that they can because they are still a smaller studio with, you know, without the backing of something like Activision or EA or something like that. But I am excited for Galactic Civilizations 4 more so than I have been for a lot of space games, a lot of Space Forex games in a long time. To go with what you're just saying, I'm really enjoying Galaxy 4 as well. Like it it took a bit because to start with I was just like, uh slow, but it's it's growing on me. The more I played of it, the more it's grown on me. And I know we were talking about with the epic backing. Can we talk about the presentation? Because it's like next level. I don't think I've ever seen a 4X game that looks as good or sounds as good. It's amazing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. <clears throat> I said I was going to praise the game, and this is one of the things that I'm really going to praise. It's, it's beautifully presented. The UI is really good as well. I think the uh, the user interface is is good. It's like better than Stardock's other games, and I think that they're generally quite good at UIs as well. So I think that they they've really they've excelled on that. I like the tooltip system in it. Um, I think everything's relatively easy to understand. There's plenty of buttons that give you direct access to you know needed needed actions on your you know on your various ships. It's just it's just really well done. The uh, the the graphics on the character animations are absolutely superb. I've never seen anything like it. That's like AAA quality graphics, uh, AAA quality animations. It blown me away. And I know that I said that I felt. Part, you know, for people who like to be really, really absorbed into a game in the immersion, might find some of the board game-ish sort of elements a little bit immersion breaking. I think the quality of the graphics will bring people right back in, especially with, you know, the diplomacy stuff. Uh, you know, when you see the characters talking and the way, they, the way that it's animated, it's absolutely amazing. The only thing that could probably make it better would be some a little bit of voice acting in it, maybe. I don't know if that's perhaps a bit beyond what they might be might be up um, for doing but just, just jumping in to say that they are planning that that would be amazing i mean if you remember how good i, I didn't play conquer the stars by the way master ryan conquer the stars what one thing i was really impressed with that game was how how great the you know the animation was you know for the characters but i think galsib's way better i mean when i first saw the uh galsib 4 animations I was, I was blown away i couldn't believe how good they were the fidelity on it's incredible it's like triple a stuff yeah i mean <sighs> 
I know I've been saying like a negative Nancy. I have put a lot of time in this game, and there is clearly is something I am enjoying about it. And yeah, I agree. The presentation is top notch. I just find the pacing and the uh, just a lot of the systems is it needs a lot, a lot more work. I I can't see. I don't think it's ready to come out within a few months. And I think there's also. Uh, for me personally, I've never really enjoyed the Galaxy Civilizations games because it's too much like Civ, and I don't really enjoy Civ. So, of of course, I'm going to be quite negative on a lot of things. But I think if they can work out the pacing and the way space and colonies and stuff work a bit more refined, I think it'll be a lot better game for it. It just just it just needs more time in beta, I believe. Yeah, and to your point about immersion, Ben, I think that, you know, like not only are the animations that that good, right, that they do feel like the game, it makes the game feel more immersive. They, they've done a lot, and I know that Brad feels really strongly about this. Brad Wardell, the CEO of Starduck, feels really strongly about, you know, making the game feel immersive. And he he plays his role in that by really focusing on the flavor text and each iteration that has come out in the last couple months, there has been more and more flavor text. And I just read something today. It was like this really great backstory of, no, that's right. We were, we made our first contact with the Festron and the Festron are these like arachnid looking, I guess they're actually underwater arachnids. And the initial, like, you know, they come up on screen and this like backstory of like, or actually that wasn't even a backstory. It was like a, it was a description of what you were seeing, you know, these, these arachnids like scurrying around the ship and making chittering sounds that you know, that clearly are a language, but you know, you can't understand it because I didn't have my universal translator yet. It was like this ex- exceptionally well-written because I'm, I've been looking because I know that Starduck's not really good at keeping things grammatically correct without spelling and typo errors. But I so I've been keeping a pretty close eye on their their text and it was exceptionally well written and it really it brought like I just w- was immediately like involved and it just it's if there's anything that Galactic Civilizations Four has done that I don't think anyone on this planet could argue against is that it's done it is it really has brought forward this like this triple A feel for a four X game and maybe even more so than Massive Orion Conquer the Stars. It just starts it starts to feel like this game, you know, could reach, you know, a greater audience just simply based and I'm not saying it will, but just simply based on its presentation alone. Can we uh, I just want to move back a bit to one of the biggest changes is having the different sectors where you have like wormholes basically connecting different sectors of the galaxy. And that's like a pretty new thing for Galaxy 4. What's your guys' opinion on that? I'm not a huge fan of it. I'd actually, I don't play with them. When I'm not playing to record it, I will only play in a larger, ultra, like a, whatever it is, huge single sector because I don't really like the sector thing. That's where I start to feel like the game gets a little bit too too big, honestly. I'm seeing a lot of people in like the test forums and on the discord and stuff like that are like maximizing sectors and maximizing the sizes of their their sectors so like each sector can be like basically the same size of like a very small map or a huge map in galactic civilizations 3 but then 
there's there can be like 10 sectors 20 sectors in a game and that just starts to feel way too damn big right and so i'm just i'm not a huge fan of it i don't i think it's just too much for me personally but i can see again where it's starting to be like the the game customization options in the in the beginning of the game make it so that anyone can enjoy it however they please you know if you want a bigger game go for it you can have shit tons of sectors and they can all be huge maps or you can just play one or two sectors and each of them are huge or medium or small and that's something that you know i can't i'm not going to argue about with because i just feel like no matter what your preference is you can have it in this way you can have it your way just like big Macs. yeah i've been playing with single sectors as well i've mucked around with the size of them a little bit but i find i think we had a discussion about this a little while ago just generally with map sizes in 4x games and i find if the map is too big i just get kind of exhausted playing it and just get kind of over it so i like to have it that it's big enough that i sort of have to explore and i, I get some time before i engage with other factions but so i've also got stuff to do so i think having a single sector but like a decent sized single sector is a good point for me to be at i like it actually but i haven't really i've, I've not played it enough really to to really play with the sectors thing but if it's if it gives people who like playing big maps a way to organize things a little bit better i think that's probably a really smart move but it kind of ties into what i was saying earlier on and i was kind of being negative earlier but i think that it's clear that they're try uh, that stardock are trying to They've taken on board popular criticisms about 4X games and they're trying to address them. And like they're to be commended in that respect. And I think the, just for example, there are people who, look, who will always basically make the biggest map that they can. And, you know, like we hear that, like Ray Fowler talks about this. He's, you know, pe- people are sending him game saves where they've just made the most ridiculous maps. But there are people who like to play those. And I think if there's a way of, allowing you know like from what like what rob was saying like he likes to play he likes to feel like he's doing this grand strategy thing without having to micromanage everything and i think if the sectors is allowing people to feel like they're part of this huge sort of galaxy while still enabling them to break it down into bite-sized chunks then you know that's a good thing because my experience of playing big big 4x games i lose interest if i feel like i'm losing control whereas if the game is set up so that it's easy or easier to kind of portion off what you're doing so that you can deal with it in a, in a you know in an easy way then that makes big games easy to, to uh, much easier to manage that's why i like shadow empire because it's so easy to you know kind of like create these fronts and then you can deal with things even very very large maps bit section at a time some other forex games i just get lost and i kind of i get to the point where i just feel overwhelmed with them because i don't really know how to organize it so i think it's a, it's a great way of doing it First of all, I do want to say that I think this is well, this will be the first part of a two-part series on Galactic Civilizations 4. So if we don't talk about something this part, come back to the next episode where we're actually going to be speaking to the community manager, Henry, of Stardock about Galactic Civilizations 4. And we're going to shoot some questions over to him and have him on the show. And he's going to, you know, be able to answer what he can for us and, you know, with the developers' answers and so I think that we'll also be talking a little bit more about some of our critical thoughts, but I thought it would be a good idea to have this podcast out first where we're able to kind of speak without any sort of concern for, I mean, like, I'm not saying that Henry would be, you know, upset or discouraged by anything we're saying, but I do wanted to, I did want to have a conversation where we didn't feel hamstrung or maybe like we were, you know, holding punches or anything like that. So there will be a second episode where we, 
probably go into a little bit more if we have more time to think about what we want to talk about with Galactic Civilizations 4, but also to talk to him about some of the things that maybe they're planning or maybe questions about the gameplay that we could have him answer. With that being said, I wanted to talk about this endgame thing that they do, this Galactic Challenges that they've added to this game. And again, I think it's because I really do believe that Derek Paxton and the the, the gang behind this game are considering what it is that's like kind of like the bugbears of 4X. And what the idea behind these galactic challenges are is that once you get to a point where you think you've won this game or could win this game, you can set this galactic challenge off, right? And it does feel a bit gamey. Going back to what Ben was saying, that there's there's aspects of this game that kind of feel a little bit game boardish, where you take you take on these these challenges, and if you win these challenges, you win the game. And there's a lot of them now. There's like 15 of them. And, you know, it, one of them is, you know, setting setting off to find this orb of Dragonol. And, you know, once you find the orb of Dragonol, you like open a pocket universe and like do something there. I don't know what it is. You do something there and, and then you win the game. And then there's also this like Pendaltapox that, you know, is like this like awful disease that's like killing everybody. And I guess like the, the goal is to like, you know, develop enough research capability to fight it off and to also survive this like awful virus and there's a bunch of other ones that you know kind of sound pretty cool and but it's it's meant to it's meant to to truncate that end game and prevent you from feeling like you're just slogging through it and i think that their heart's in the right place i have not actually tried any of them i've started them and never gotten through them um, because i've never actually made it to like the real end game part of the game but I think, like I said, I think their heart's in the right place. And I think it's a, I mean, it's, it's again, it's, they're trying to think outside the box. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I've never tried them because uh, I just wanted to try as many different races as possible and different map configurations just to see how it played. But yeah, I think I do like the idea actually because a lot of times I find before it's games, I get to a certain point where I think, well, I've won this and I just don't even bother finishing i'll just start a new game so maybe something like this would uh, encourage me to keep on playing sort of thing and see the game out because you know especially if they've put in a lot of them in and they're varied it, it could be nice to just oh i'll try this one this time have a go at that sort of thing yeah in my preview i mentioned it was kind of reminiscent to me for me of colonization where you know at a certain point towards the end of a colonization game you determined you you at least thought you were probably capable of taking on your home nation like your you know the you know mother england if you were you know english and you you know because you'd gone through and you developed your cities well enough and you'd armed your people well enough that you could then overthrow said country and then fight them and it was like this like fight to the death and i really like that about colonization because for like the first like nine tenths of the game it felt like a very normal 4x game there was a lot of economic and industrial and military strategies that you implemented and you know you had to really consider the game for a lot of it or consider those aspects of the game for a lot of it but then at the end it kind of shifted gears completely and it became this like pretty much a war game and I really liked it. I just thought it was a great, great way to finish the game. It, it definitely, it didn't feel like the slog that a lot of 4X games do. And 
if they can pull this part off, and I really want to to really try these, and I really hope that they're, as you said, varied enough and interesting enough that you can maybe try one, like, you know, every time you go through and you actually get to the end game, you're like, okay, let's try this new one that I've never tried. If they can do that, then I think it might be, you know, even if it feels gamey, I think it could be like the future of what Forex games could be with regards to their end game. We all know how Forex fans are divided over mechanics that kind of force them into certain situations okay so like what uh jackson and i were talking with lucid uh, about this last night about what we were calling game pressure you know pressure on the player in order to in order to win but the sandbox games tend to have less game pressure right and i think that yeah a lot of forex fans really really don't like that pressure so when you've got an end game thing just suddenly sprung on you some people absolutely hate it they will turn them off I mean, look at if you just look at the way that people are with the the, the space cre- the space monsters in Remnants of the Precursors. As soon as Ray added that ability to take that out, that everyone was like praising him, and that's a relatively easy thing to deal with compared to some of the end game circumstances that you can have in some of these games, right? So I guess that's one way of dealing with it. It's it's giving you a way to end the game when you're ready in a very sandboxy kind of gamey way. At the same time, I mean. Again, part part of me is like, who really wants to push the end game button? You know, like, do you push the nuclear button on your own planet? Because that's kind of what you're doing. <laughs> so if you're like a if you're a sandbox player, you're probably not going to do that. Or, you know, maybe you maybe you will if you just border the game and you just want to kind of try and get it over with as quickly as possible. But you but the sort of player who wants that pressure, they're also going to feel like it's too gamey to kind of go. Okay, now I'm ready to push the button because now I know I can win. Like, what's that? You know, you people who want the pressure side really kind of are wanting the anticipation of something happening so that they hopefully they're they're going to be able to deal with it not hitting the button at the moment they know that they can win it's the same way that you can game like forex diplomacy you know it's like okay i'm just going to get i'm 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 going to get africa not to attack me for 30 turns but on turn 31 i'll be ready so you just use diplomacy to kind of keep them away from you until turn 31 when you've got enough of an army just to roll over them it's kind of the same kind of thing so i don't know seems a strange game design decision to me but i I think they're trying to please a lot of people you've got to be careful doing that in game design because you can't please everybody yeah but i mean it, it is optional and whether it works or not it's like i said i'm i'm not the sort of player who i i just feel like i'm not challenged enough at a certain point in most forex games that I'd, I'd rather just start a new game and challenge myself in a different way so it would be nice sometimes to see well okay I've, everything i've done this game is it good enough to take on this end game challenge and i'm actually looking forward to trying it and yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what they do with uh Galsif. hopefully they can just make the game flow a little bit better and uh yeah i think it's going to be a good game i mean to finish that part up i think that if they can make it feel a bit more organic that these galactic achievements galactic challenges whatever they are will feel a bit more i mean i guess the system would feel just a bit more natural and so like with with the i mean i'm going back to colonization for a second but like the idea of overthrowing your home country is an organic like part of colonization right like you that's like how history went and it's probably you know how most countries do things except for australia because they're just happy with being british's you know criminals uh, that's, that's an organic thing like that's an organic decision and that makes sense in the context of colonization you know right. like when you are ready to take on 
your you know your your sponsoring nation then you can go for it i think you know if you were going to kind of apply what i was saying to that game it might be fun for the sponsoring nation to realize that you've got stronger than them and then to attack you so that there's kind of like you know you can declare war on them and they can declare war on you that would be that would be an organic kind of non-gamey way for that to happen yeah no and i think that you could still do that with the galactic achievement or sorry the galactic challenges where maybe some of them actually do come up organically or maybe you are presented with almost like an in-game crisis stuff like Stellaris does. Like these ideas could be presented to you much like the in-game slur or the in-game crisis do in Stellaris. And you know, it's only when you're ready, only when the game thinks you're ready that it throws it at you. And I think that if that were the case and it felt more organic like that and more natural, that I would actually like that better, but I don't, I don't hate the way it is now, but I think there could be room for making it more more of an organic process. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, it could be like an end-game crisis thing in Stars, whether you can set a turn limit or if you own, you're like um, maybe ahead in tech at some point, a certain percentage of tech, ahead on tech, or you own 75% of space that maybe it, it would say, right, within 20 turns, we're going to randomly pick one of these things and trigger it. And of course, this should be something the player decides if they want it in the game or not. But I think that could work as well. Yeah, I like that idea. I think I think I like that idea better than a, than a button you hit at an arbitrary point. Like if you said, okay, because it's a, it, it does present itself almost like a board game. And I don't think people are going to, if that's the kind of game that it wants to be, that's fine. I like that kind of thing. So you could say, all right, uh, at 200 turns, there's going to be X endgame crisis. And you know that it's coming. That way, you've got you know this kind of trajectory that you can plot through the game like you would with the original Civ or like the older Gal Civ games. And you know, you know that at a certain point that you've got to do this. Now, I know a lot of players hate that. I mean, if you look at the reception to Alliance of the Sacred Sun so far, when people realized there was a term limit in it, people were like on Steam, like, going oh well i'm not going to buy this one then because it's got a terminal you know like forex gamers a lot of them really really hate time pressure but if you can have it as an optional thing i'd much rather that than some you know like the arbitrary world end button <laughs> i think that's a good idea drex well i mean even then like i think that I, I like the idea of you actually like if you reached certain thresholds within the game like right like if if for some reason your military becomes like overwhelmingly the most powerful military in the galaxy and you've turned these on, then like, you know, the, the whatever, I don't know. Let's just say like the, one of the galactic challenges would be that I think return of the Drenjin are one of them. So like, you know, the Drenjin return in like, you know, the old school form and they, you know, attack every planet you have simultaneously, you know, like something like that, or, you know, a, fourth dimension AI race comes out of nowhere and attacks you because you become too strong and they're like, you know, like universal overlords and no one can ever become too strong. If that's something you've already turned on, then that's something you can expect. And it only happens once you've reached a certain threshold. And I think that would be way cooler and way more organic, but whatever. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is also people like, you know, what Daz was talking about in the distant worlds podcast, where he was saying when for him, when a game is done, he, he wants it to be over. So, you know, kind of adding things that stop, you know, like when you get uh, scaling difficulty and that kind of thing. Some people hate that because when they feel like the game is over, like Drexy says, I'm kind of like, I know that I've won. I just want to start a new campaign and do something different. Other people just really want it to be difficult, you know, so options are the best. One thing that Stargoddock is good at is lots of options. So 
I'm, I'm confident they'll do something right here. Yeah, and so I kind of want to wrap things up at this point. Like I said, there's going to be a second episode where we do kind of, again, kind of go into some of the things that we've already, maybe some of the things that we haven't quite touched on and we'll then have Henry on to answer some of the questions that we've generated from now until then and are able to kind of like, you know, uh, grab the ear of some of the developers. But I mean, at this point, like, I just think that for a version 0.80, they're at least, I would say at least two months away from release, but probably more, I would say in my mind, I would imagine that they're probably targeting you know, like a mid quarter to somewhere like late spring release. I don't know. I have, I legitimately don't have any clue or inside knowledge as to when they're releasing this game. But if they are waiting until like the May, June timeframe, I think that it's plenty of time to a fix the pacing issues that we talked about, b shore up some of the like weirdness of some of these things that are going on and the bugs. There's a bunch of bugs I've seen too. And then C kind of also maybe fill in some of the, I don't know, like the the rest of the polish that needs to be there. But I mean, I think the list of things that need to be fixed, tamed, or changed uh, is a lot smaller than probably any other startup game at this point in its development than I've, I've ever seen. And I've been in most of, you know, startups betas and I participated behind the scenes in almost every single one of their games. And for where this game is in its development cycle, I think that it has the the most potential of any startup game, in my opinion. So here's to hoping they can figure that shit out and you know make this thing work and have fun with it. What about you, Ben? What do you think is a closing closing remarks here? Closing remarks is I think uh, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing the combat and you know because that's my, that's one of my favorite things of the game i haven't really played enough of this version to be able to really give my opinion on that yet so how they handle that is going to be a big thing but already right this is a pretty decent product and i think it's going to be better received than galsiv 3 was by a mile so you know they've just got to carry on on this upwards trajectory that they're going on and they're gonna i'm I'm confident that stardock have got a winner on their hands with it they just need to they just need to tweak stuff yeah yeah i'm pretty much in the same boat uh yeah i think they just uh yeah, again, it's just game pacing and maybe tech stuff as well that needs to be looked at. Like, I know we should, we're wrapping up here, but things like not being able to... When I was playing that game earlier, I was going for a really aggressive uh, place. So I was picking all the combat techs. And of course, I didn't have the tech to build housing. And it's like, well, has my empire got into space when I can't even build housing districts? <laughs> so they really need to look into stuff like that. Uh, yeah, if they if they can get that sorted out, this is looking to be probably the first Galsiv game I'll enjoy. Yeah, most of the stuff I quite like. Like, I actually kind of like the Core Worlds mechanic. It's, I think, kind of like what you were saying, Rob, like it feels... It's it's like always trying to find things that it, it's it's kind of realistic almost like it's sort of how you would imagine a real civilization would expand. Like I like it. Um, I think like Drexy, the the real big issue that I've got is pacing, but I think I usually have that with quite a few games. Um, like a lot of the civilization style games, I tend to find them a bit slow. So I think yeah, the pacing, the systems, I think mostly work pretty well for me. I'm not really a fan of randomized text either, for exactly the same reason you guys have all outlined. Um, I think overall, I've it's to begin with. I was kind of like, ah, you know, I'm not really feeling it, but it grew on me after a few hours, and I'm getting more and more into it, and I'm really starting to enjoy it. 
it's a, once you actually get into it and it gets going, it's a hell of a lot of fun. So I'm hoping if they can, you know, sort out some of these issues that they'll have a real winner on their hands. Yeah, well said. I think that's kind of where we're all at. So I think that we can all agree that there's a lot of potential here and maybe, you know, individually we may have our concerns in certain areas, but I believe that this could be the best Stardock performing, like their, their best performing game, their best quality game. And it, it all really kind of depends on how they wrap this uh, thing up where, you know, like put a, put a bow on it here in the next couple months. So, well, like I said, stay tuned for the next episode where we do kind of, you know, revisit a little bit of where we maybe have left off, but also welcome Henry to talk about the the rest of it and to kind of get a d- developer's perspective. Um, he's the community manager, but he's going to have, you know, some of the developers respond to some of our questions or maybe concerns or whatnot. And then, you know, we'll go from there. So, uh, Drex, we have one more thing before we get to go. Yeah. I just want to, after I've done with this, I want to, uh, fully enchantress with the, the amount of polish this game has. <laughs> and I'll be a really happy man. Yeah, definitely, man. That's a really great idea. <laughs> oh, geez, God, I would die happy to see that kind of animation in like a fantasy setting. Oh my God. I would, uh, like just the idea. I mean, like I, I can't imagine that Fall from Heaven is not a game that they're going to go back to. Like they've got Derek Paxton, who has basically the Fall from Heaven, like you know, universe in his pocket. And I can't imagine, like, just imagine a game where you you're you know you're meeting demons and stuff like that, and and and, and animations of that style and that quality. I would just be like, holy crap. Anyway, so stay tuned for the next episode. Like I said, this episode is going to be. Uh, released before our second part and for the first time ever we'll have like a two-parter but until then this was rob drexy ben and sean for explominates keep exploring see you later guys see ya have a good one